The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Brian, you did an excellent job of pulling that cap off without making too much noise. I, I always wait until the last second. It's perfect. Uh, Beyond, and hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond episode, a number that doesn't exist because this is sort of an in-between episode. We wanted to this year with, of course, the PS5, soon coming, we hope. Uh, we want to take a look back at the biggest PlayStation 4 exclusives and really dive back into what we loved, what we think could be better, and what we hope the life for them will be in the next generation of games. I'm joined this week by Max Scoville. It's episode Zero Dawn. You're right. I should have said that. That's Beyond episode zero dawn. Beyond Hello. episode zero dawn. I can't wait for episode one dawn. Uh, also joined by elderly Irish woman Lucy O'Brien. Hi. Hello. Good morning to you. Oh. Oh, I hate early for that noise. Oh boy. And Brian Altano. Hello. Hello. Uh, thank oh. you all so much for joining me for this episode. Uh, as we have alluded to, we're going to be discussing Horizon Zero Dawn this week as Lucy adjusts her seat. You, you doing okay there? What are you doing over there? <laughs> Surprise adjusted it too low. <laughs> Ignore me. Uh, we're going to be moving our chairs around a lot. We're also going to be talking about Horizon. Uh, as we're recording this today, it worked out it is the third anniversary of that game. It came out in 2017. So we'll be taking a look back. Uh, I've been playing it all the way through for the first time. I sort of dropped off halfway through um, when it first came out. But we'll be Was that because back. of Zelda? It was because of everything that year. Right. It was like a very busy year, mm-hmm. uh, especially with the Switch launch in general. So uh, I always meant to go back to it, and I'm finally trying to platinum it and everything. But we'll go back, take a look at everything, um, take a look at your comments as well. We have a ton of input from the Podcast Beyond Facebook group as well as the Podcast Beyond YouTube community. So thank you all to everyone who wrote in their comments. We'll definitely be reading some on the show this week. Uh, but I thought we could kick off the show because we happen to fortuitously have Lucy here. And Lucy, of course, originally reviewed the game. Yes. Lucy, it was like a million years ago. Do you but remember yes, I what you gave it? I think it was a 9.3. You were correct. It was a 9.3. All right. right. Uh, I wanted to read off your verdict to start off the show. Across uh-huh. a vast and beautiful beautiful open world, Horizon Zero Dawn juggles many moving parts with polish and finesse. Its main activity, combat, is extremely satisfying thanks to the varied design and behaviors of machine creatures that roam its lands, each of which needs to be taken down with careful consideration. Though side questing could have been more imaginative, its missions are compelling thanks to a central mystery that led me down a deep rabbit hole to a genuinely surprising and moving conclusion. Oh, nice work, mate. Yeah, you did pretty well. <laughs> uh, um, and so I want to... Ugh, I hate hearing my past writing. At least you didn't have to hear your VO. That's what <gasps> That's my least favorite. That was good. That was very good. It was very well done. Um, I think no, you nailed it. I loved your review, and I think you did really capture so much what makes what makes the game work and what it could 
do better, especially in the next going. But so I wanted to start, I think, on what we all can sort of universally agree is one of the best aspects of it, and it is that combat, that hunting, um, tracking down the machine creatures, robot dinosaurs, Mm -hmm. call them, even though they're not all dinosaurs, I know. But the process of picking them apart, figuring out what weapons you need to use, and that slow, methodical process of hunting them down. I think we can all agree that is easily the best, coolest part of this game, right? Yeah, absolutely. So good. And it's, you know, it's, it's... It's one of those games where you sort of you're left a bit breathless after those especially like climactic encounters. Yeah, like you messaged me just the other day because you were what were you fighting? A thunderjaw. A thunderjaw. So, yeah, yeah. I had never fought. I, I got pretty far into the game, but I had never fought a thunderjaw. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a T Rex, right? Uh, it's more the like stegosaurus i guess like sort of t-rex meets okay. yeah it's also very large they gave all the dinosaur robots cool nicknames and they're like it's kind of, they sometimes describe them you know like it's a glint hawk and they're like a thunder jaw and i'm like well that's most dinosaurs yeah. they have like big mouths <laughs> so that guy so yeah he's a mix of a couple dinosaurs um yeah but, but he's, oh, the, he's, yeah, the, he's, the, he's a, he's yeah, a big boy the collector's he's a big boy. edition you, yes yeah. the collector's edition one and so it's the biggest land robot dinosaur that you can fight and I hadn't in the first game and it's one of those things where you see it in the wild you probably come across it before you're even near level enough to fight it which I love I love when games do that like when you're just traversing across you know from from soft games do this really well as well is traversing across the landscape and you can see a giant thing in the distance and you know you know that you are way too under level to take it on but you know it's gonna be there it's coming for you right yeah it's almost like I remember seeing it and you can use Aloy's focus to zoom in and sort of look at enemies. But the first time you do, you're probably at a far enough distance where you can't even check in on it. Like it's so far that you're just kind of like, oh, I have no idea what I could face here. Mm. Um, And so you could face one in the wild. You can face one in one of the cauldrons, which is the first time I fought one. So it was an even more enclosed space. Mm -hmm. So it is like good luck. You have a (laughs) very small space to fight this giant creature who takes up most of it. And it was, yeah, I was like, if I was on a seat, I would have been at the edge of my seat. Like it was one of those just incredible fights that I love so much. Um, what were you sitting on? I was I was laying down on the couch. Oh, I see. Yeah, so like I would have had to roll over on my side to be on the edge, which is not a great way to lay. <laughs> um, but fighting those, I I think every what's so interesting is that every different robot dinosaur takes a different uh, approach that you really do need to use Aloy's full arsenal. Yeah. Um, do, do you guys, how, you know, that combat obviously is now three years old. How do you feel like it stands up, stands the test of time to compared to games that have come since things like Monster Hunter World or God of War or Bloodborne? How do you think it sort of stands up? To I think, stuff? I think it still kicks ass. I think it still stands on its own. Um, Bloodborne obviously scales in a sort of different direction and, and, and Monster Hunter even further in sort of getting into the like overtly obtuse territory where like in Monster Hunter you're like sharpening your your sword in the middle of a fight. Um, Bloodborne doesn't get that crazy, although there are times where there's weapon damage, especially when you're rolling in a new game plus one and two and stuff like that. You made it like seven minutes without talking about Bloodborne. He brought it up. I brought it up. Blame him. Um, I knew what I was doing. (laughs) And I think that the reason I liked this game a lot was uh, it does a really good job of sort of balancing projectiles with hand-to-hand stuff. Um, I remember specifically like being like, okay, I'm going to die if I get any closer to this thing, but I found this ridge with a rock and I'm going to hide behind it for 45 minutes <laughs> and just like launch grenades at this thing's ass until it dies. And I did that and it worked. And I remember that being just as tense as bo- boss fights where I'm you know, running underneath something's leg and groin and stabbing upwards to kill it. Uh, and so that's what I really like about this game. I think that's like probably the, the part where it shines the most. 
most um, is is the combat. And I think it still kicks ass, especially like the Glenhawk stuff. When you're oh, fighting yeah. stuff on the ground and there's stuff in the sky at the same time, that's a lot of games don't really get into that territory. Like a lot of third person action games are sort of just like, here's your here's what you're fighting right here. Especially, you know, even even Bloodborne, there isn't really a ton of stuff that's like up in the air. No, even the birds are on the ground. Yeah. Especially <laughs> them, right? Like they're just like Bleh! and they leap <laughs> in the air. Um, yeah. and so that's what I really liked about this game. That and the kind of the way the environment scaled vertically. Mm. Um, which which would make it so you would be on the side of a cliff. And all of a sudden, Glenhawks would come out, and you're like, okay, well, I'm on like a narrow path, and I'm fighting three things in the sky at the same time, mm. which is like pretty dynamic and, and a lot different than uh, even even like Zelda did just a few weeks later, you know? I think that the combat in this game, specifically like when you're fighting something huge and you have to pick it apart, is the singular most impressive thing it does. I mean, obviously, like it. it succeed so well on a technical level but i feel like it takes that concept that we're all familiar with of like a zelda boss fight where one part of the boss starts flashing red and you're like that's where i shoot it and they're like all right well what if some parts were blue and some parts were yellow and also this isn't a boss this is a regular enemy right and there's six of them and then there's two different flavors that have different parts Mm -hmm. and that idea of having to sort of like pick it apart and you know choose your strategy and it's it's cool that they're doing this because it's within the sort of the the conceit of a video game where it's a totally made up animal. You can kind of go nuts and play around there. It's not like you're fighting an actual dinosaur. Be like, well, you got to shoot it in the gallbladder. It's like, no, this is a completely fantastic beast, yep. and it might be weak against lightning or something. And so you have to take it on on that front. Uh, I think when it really gets down to those those moments of like, I mean, they're like emergent boss encounters almost. Where they're not even bosses, they're just they're just a it's just a thunderjaw or a fire claw or a deathbringer or you've got the wiki open. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, because I was trying to remember, I remember later in the game you start to fight behemoths, and it is one of those things where it's like they have canisters on them that you can use with an elemental attack to weaken them, but you may also accidentally knock those canisters off, and then you can't set them on fire, and so you have to come up with another mm-hmm. approach. Like the I think the dynamism to each individual robot having multiple ways that you can go at it, and so even if you make a mistake. There's still a glimmer of hope in a way. But also the yeah. uh, the the pieces of these animals being assets at the same time, like yeah. the stuff that you want to actually collect these things, yeah. is, is really cool. Oh, it's such a great gameplay loop. Um, what I really love about the the designs of the machines themselves is even when you are doing things like shooting off canisters off a behemoth's back it's moving in a way that is extremely animalistic and yeah. feels like a very real creature. So it's you're never sort of thinking, okay, and then I will move here and shoot that off and then I will move here because it's moving in a very organic way and you never really can anticipate how it's going to move. Yeah. And I love that side of it. It always feels like you're taking down something that is alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sorry, what I I'm going to counter that and say <laughs> one thing I absolutely hate in this game which completely takes me out of the sort of organic experience is the fact that you can basically turn on like like the sort of Google Maps route where the animal's going to take. Like before you engage in combat and it totally, you know, everything goes out the window, the fact that there's that whole thing where you're like, all right, what's the, like, what's the Metal Gear Solid guard loop? Like what's, what's their <laughs> right. route that yeah, they're yeah, taking? Yeah, Which yeah. just reminds yeah. me, like, this is a system. Yeah. And I, yeah. I love it when it's, when it's completely hectic and chaotic and you can't tell which direction things are going to go. But the fact that there's before that, there's like, all right, well, where are you going to put your little mines? Yeah. I, I would say there's <laughs> only a couple enemies, though, that you can probably get in one kill, even when you're pretty 
leveled up. And so once you get them off that path, it mm -hmm. is still like a good luck because you could put 50 tripwires around that path, but if they see you, that path doesn't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. Once you get them out of that loop, it is so great to be able to be like, I'm going to put down these seven tripwires here and then I'm going to shoot this arrow that takes half of their armor off. Right. And then when they're confused, I'm going to shoot five electric bombs at them so I can stun them and then maybe hack them or maybe do a critical hit. Like there is that just constant, you need, it keeps you on your toes so constantly. And yeah. it's such a great um, thing about it. I do wish there was, like I love that they, obviously, you know, looking forward to more scale in future sequels. I do love that there is a whole range of them of everything from the small watchers to ones that you're not really fighting like the tall necks. Oh, I, I the tall necks are just beautiful yeah i wish there was almost more of them in the game like i yeah, know we're all too. sort of tired of towers in games if you like but... them you should play death stranding yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i mean they're you know there's they're very ubisofty the tall necks but i um i love them nonetheless just for the the sheer size and i you know one of the reasons i'm so uh excited to play a horizon 2 on the playstation 5 is to see how much bigger <laughs> they can go with these things considering yeah. uh next gen technology yeah I, I hope they take a cue from shadow of the colossus and really just make the make these encounter like these these should be enemies as well as environments right right like i would love to see much more like i guess there's some parts where you you kind of get on them but not really like it's that's less of the focus whereas you look at shadow of the colossus or dragon's dogma did this really well where larger enemies you're like I'm going to get up there and stab you in the eyeball. Yeah. 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 And, and, and again, what um, Shadow of the Colossus does so well is, is, is it's, it's very, you sort of, you, feel, you, you know that there's a way to get up there, but you always feel like you're sort of making it up and you're always like sort of grabbing on bits of it, you know, like bits of it's alive fur that's also <laughs> grass and, you know, it's just like, it, it's, it's so, again, it's like a sort of scrambling encounter that feels so organic. One of my favorite things with one of the tall necks specifically was that you instead of just like climbing up it like you do every ubisoft tower you had to basically traverse this giant cliff and then wait for it to walk yes right I remember that. kind of parallel with you and then dive off the top and land on its flat head and then it would basically give you surveillance of the area you i thought that was so TV. cool yeah <laughs> yeah i thought that was like such a cool way of, of handling the classic ubisoft tower thing yeah the way that they blend those into the environment is a really smart addition to it instead of just trying to like find the right place on their leg to hit like mm -hmm. you really do need to be able to climb up them but i agree i would love to see a mix of that climbing and the fights wrapped together into some very large enemies that we'll have to tackle mm -hmm. but i think that is a good transition to talk about one of the things which obviously it did get you know, comparisons to because it's hard to ignore the fact that Breath of the Wild came out two weeks after it and that game was built on the fact of climb anything, go anywhere, <laughs> you can touch everything um, and scale it. Here, pathing is very specific to get around in terms of verticality. Uh, usually it's ledges that are hinted at by either white or yellow dust. Yeah, it's or like uncharted. Or like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very much in the vein of other Sony first party games. But there was a limitation to it. And as much as I love this beautiful world, I found myself so often being like, where does the geometry have sort of a footstep that I can fake and do a 50 hops up to get I did <laughs> so much of that in this game so much I, I, I swear I spent 15 hours just total hopping. just like sort of just like shimmying up a mountainside mm -hmm. that I wasn't supposed to go up the amount of times I would pull up the the mini map in that game and just sort of be like I have to get here so I should go here and then I'd get there and I'd be like Damn it. It's about 15 minutes climbing up it and then you'd have to go all the way around and yeah, yeah. the funniest thing about going back to it and realizing, hey, Death Stranding's running in this engine is doing that and being like, 
That's the gameplay loop for Death Stranding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's looking at your mini right. map and being like, can I get up that cliff there? Can yeah. I walk around it? Yeah. And, and here, I, I think it was most apparent to me because I've been going a lot more for as many of the collectibles as possible since I'm trying to platinum it, is the Banuk figures, which are often at very yeah. high precipices and they're very often out of the way. And even if you can see an entire cliff face, you may have no idea where to go because it's actually around the corner on the cliff face yep. and it's hidden by a bunch of trees. And so it was one of those things where I would, like you, Brian, like spend spend 20 minutes trying to hop up things and then just see Aloy crash to her death because I yeah. accidentally hit a too smooth piece of the environment. Yeah, and then sometimes maybe you were standing on like a tunnel that started half a mile earlier that led to a cave that was beneath you that had the coffee mug you were looking for. Yeah, right. Exactly. But you didn't really know until you exhausted every possible option. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and it's one of those things that I think in a sequel, obviously fixing terrain-wise would be one of the biggest improvements I love to see being able to get around more of it. I think, Max, to what you're speaking of we've seen the decima engine now be used in another game that is all about traversal do you are there lessons you want horizon to take from death stranding good or bad yeah i mean i think that that, um death stranding was definitely like a gorgeously rendered open world that had like a very tactile engagement with it it just was kind of empty and there wasn't enough stuff to do whereas horizon is almost the opposite problem where it is i think it is more successful as a video game than it is as a believable open world Mm -hmm. Uh, so if you manage to kind of meet halfway there and have a game that is like like really like really grounded and and like tactile traversal coupled with like you know enemies that give you a real like a real challenge you've got yeah. something very cool there but my issue with uh with Horizon specifically is that just when i'm like completely enamored by the world and being like this is completely beautifully rendered it does something just inherently video gamey that pulls me <laughs> out of it yeah um like looking at the map it is kind of unabashedly like showing it does the the the, the RPG thing where it's like here be monsters level seven to nine. And you're like, okay, well, I know that I can't go there yet or whatever. You know, like there's that, it it kind of, it, it doesn't gatekeep, but it very much is like, okay, these are, you know, your fast it, pass it can guides you, yeah. you a little and, bit too much. And it's less of like, here's an entire cohesive ecosystem and more like, here's a bunch of different arenas that are strung together by various means of getting to and fro. Right. So I actually, that's like one of my favorite parts of this game is how unabashedly sort of Super Mario World it is. Like they're like, here's the fire zone and here's the ice zone and they're all like interconnected. There's no logic to it. Like you just cross over like a, a hill and all of a sudden the entire world's covered in fire and lava and there's like fire beasts everywhere. <laughs> and you're like, that's a lot. And you turn around and you're back in like grassy, peaceful town. Um, it's totally ridiculous. Whereas like Death Stranding was just kind of like drab and gray and then like there'd be moments where you're like, oh, that's a little town or like a hole. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not um, saying get rid of the fire area. I think yeah. like that part, that that like elemental side of video gaminess and being like, hey, what should the dinosaur shoot lasers? Yeah, screw it. Why not? I'm totally in support of that. I just mean like structurally speaking, it felt very much like it, it felt like a, like a little bit disingenuous as far as being a fully open world, you know? Right, mm-hmm. right. Which is odd because they gatekeep fast travel for, from you for a significant portion of that game. Yeah, fast, So they want you to explore it like it's an open world. Fast traveling is one of the weirdest aspects in that game because the first time around I had no idea there was the better version of it because you can collect uh, travel packs yeah. all throughout. And I don't know if it was a post-launch edition or not, but you collect the travel packs and then there is a just infinite travel pack you can buy. Yeah. And it only costs 50 shards and a couple like fox skins. It's yeah. not that expensive. But even but, it, but even without that, I mean, I found by the the end sort of the in game time like I had so many of those travel packs. Yes. They're not yeah. hard. No, it's to not get. It's, it's just an odd thing to sort of Yeah, it was a no, bit it was have, a bit half baked as a yeah. as a premise. I have like friends that don't read IGN every day and they were playing Don't be that friends game with for them. hours and hours. Yeah. 
And um, they were like, yeah, it's really good. I just hate walking everywhere. And I'm like, oh, you can you can like quick travel. Did you know that? And they're like, no. Because <laughs> that's like kind of, it's, it's it not really like explain. in your face, but it's not really buried either. It's just sort of like, it's kind of a subtle option. Then it, it only pops up after you've been in that world for a while. And by then you might already have a rhythm down of how you get everywhere. And yeah. you do get vehicles. You get that funny horse with the striders yeah. you can ride. Yeah. I would love to be able to ride a glint hawk in the sequel. Oh, I want to be yes. able to ride everything. Something fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> sounds really rude. Um, no, with, I understand what Max is saying. Uh, one of the, one of the things that I would like to see in a sequel and you know, this is, uh, relating back to my point in that conclusion in the review about uh, side quests not being particularly interesting. I just want the world to be a bit more like the world outside. The, 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 the machines themselves are fascinating. I love the, I love the environments. I, yeah. love, I love like the sort of minute-to-minute traversal in Horizon. But what I didn't particularly adore is the sort of like the towns and the people. Like I want, I want, I want more interesting stories to be told within the larger story yeah so Um, because that goes a long way to creating a cohesive world that feels very lived in and real yeah and i do want to get to the overarching plot of the game the story and we'll we'll spoiler warn that when we get there but i do want to talk about essentially the the world around you that you have to explore when it comes to side quests and the people and everything because at the beginning of the game it does set up a, a much more like story focused, almost linear game. Like when you're first starting out with Alias Story and then it opens up and it's like, go to these towns and maybe you'll find a side quest and maybe you'll just have to go uh, kill uh, an enemy for someone. Like it, the side questing never really feels like it's that consequential to what you're doing. No. Um, it does have that sort of like, hey, you're on this very important path to find out something hugely important for the world, but what if you got 50 fox skins first? It, it does have that dichotomy <laughs> to it. And flirt with people with no real consequence. Yeah. Remember how flirtatious so, Aloy was? So the flirting in that game, I want to talk about I that. I guess that's your game, Lucy. I don't <laughs> I, yeah, no, hey, I've, if given the option, I'm always a sex pest. Put that on a shirt. Yeah, uh, the flirt. No, the flirting in the game. I do want to get to. There are a couple characters that it feels like they are pushing Aloy to have a like romantic interest in. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, I could not tell what they were trying to do with Erin, who is sort of like the main male uh, character you interact with mostly. But th- there are some characters in the game where I'm like, oh, she has so much more chemistry with them. Can we have them be part of the main story? Like, why are they only in this town for ten minutes? Yeah, it's, there is a weird thing. But yeah, it's surprisingly flirty. Like, I liked it. Like, I'm not complaining. Yeah, I just, um, it was, it was, it was again one of those sort of things where it, it like, like fast travel where it sort of didn't quite feel fully realized. It wasn't. It didn't really have a real. Yeah. You know. Well, there's. It wasn't. You have dialogue choices. Well built. Really but there, there was no matter. consequence. Yeah, there's no them. consequence. I mean, which, which is fine because yeah. I understand that, you know, that that sort of lets you tailor a protagonist to your, you know, sort of liking um, yeah. on a superficial level. But yeah, there was no no consequence. Yeah, and, and there's no... Um, so there is essentially, because it's tied to some trophies, so of course I've been following for it, there are some side quests you need to complete in order to get certain allies to appear in a final fight. But you don't really know that going into those stories. A couple of them I sought out because I wanted to. And when I got to them, I'm like, oh, this is one of the important side quests to the game. Like, mm-hmm. it feels so superfluous, so unnecessary to the main plot. I don't know why it's pushing me here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, how, how did you all feel about, like, the... Before we get to, like, Aloy's story and all of that, how did you feel about the world that they built when it comes to, like, these competing tribes, the Karja, the Shadow Karja, the Asaram uh, workers? I mean, does any of that really, like, linger in your mind? Is something me, interesting? It makes me so mad. <laughs> Why? I don't. It's just... 
I, I, some people obviously get into it. It's just like it's a world that I had the hardest time like buying into. Mm-hmm. I think it was just it's like they really just they and I, I appreciate all the all the color and all like the different like there, there's some great art direction in there and there's some really cool stuff. But it, as far as like grounding it at all or making it feel like remotely like like believable, it just something didn't stick the landing for me. There. And, and it was I think it I think a lot of it is is how realistic the game is visually. If it had been like a little bit cartoony or like kind of like, I mean, you look at, I don't know, Borderlands or Breath of the Wild or something that has that like kind of cell shaded look to it. There's ne- that's never an issue for me there. You know, that's never, I have no problem with that whatsoever if it's like a kind of, you know, wackadoo story. But the fact that they've got these gorgeously rendered like f- photorealistic environments and then I'm just like, mm, I'm poking holes in this. This doesn't, this doesn't <laughs> add up. I don't like it. So... Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it wasn't particularly compelling. Um, During my first playthrough, uh, when I was reviewing it, I sort of, I was so impressed by how Ashley Birch managed to, who's Aloy's voice actress, uh, managed to sort of sell a lot of nonsense with her performance. You know what I mean? Like, she did such a good job, and Aloy was such a, I really liked her as a character, that, like, all of that sort of stuff didn't really bother me it was I was just like oh yeah sure sure but I, <laughs> I I was always interested in her and what she had to say I yeah I weirdly wouldn't even go that far I was I was there for the world and for the combat and like that makes me sound like an idiot which is fine <laughs> no but, I mean it's, no. it's a it's a game that is sold on those two things yeah and it's it's sort of like when I was watching what was it the 2014 Godzilla movie where like the monster would come out and then they would close a door on him and then it would just be a bunch of scientists yelling at each other and I was like that's fine, but that's not really why I'm here. Yeah. yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. I'll 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 funnel through <laughs> yeah. all of this stuff to get to what's next, which is always just like somebody would hand me a quest which would get me back on the road being where I wanted to be. And this is someone who did like tons of side stuff in that game. When you said like farming fox pelts, yeah. I did that for like hours and hours. Oh and yeah. Hours. yeah. So, like I remember specifically one field running up and down, up and down just beating the crap out of animals with a stick. <laughs> To get their clothes or whatever to make more guns, I forget. And it, it feels not great compared to taking down like one of the vicious, you know, stalkers that are attacking you, right. like of the robots. When you have to take down a poor fox, it's like I'm sorry, I, I need know. this skin for armor. Or like yes. thirty of them. Yeah, yeah. And then every now and then, like one of those raptors would be like, "Are you killing foxes?" I'm like, <laughs> "I want to get you." Yeah. Um, but then I'd I'd be funneled into these towns of these like sort of winding staircases and looking at the mini map, figuring out which of the six adjacent shops have the exact thing i'm looking for (laughs) every shop is identical every yeah yeah and then it would just be this close-up shot of this guy being like hey alloy what are you looking for and i was like not you i don't want (laughs) to like it's all fine yeah it's totally okay for world building stuff but like i wanted to just get back out there and kick some ass Yeah, yeah and and ultimately you know these these are small things because what Brian said is true is that it is a game that the, the entire premise is the world and um, the combat right and it's like everything else is if it's you know it it, can, it could be better but it's not it's not it definitely didn't break anything for me no for sure um, and and when I sort of think about it the it, for a first game for a new IP um, it was incredible. Yeah, when you when you consider that this is Gorilla's first game after a string five uh, kill zones, including the PSP game and then Shadowfall, the PS4 launch title, when you consider that they were focused all on those and then opened up to this entirely new genre for them, an entirely new focus. Exactly, but you think yeah. about Assassin's Creed, you think about the first say, Watch Dogs, you yeah. think about like all of those games. Like they are, you know, they were 
good, good effort, and then really yep. stuck the the landing on the sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I this feel is such like a better oh, first. I yeah. feel like Horizon, Horizon Zero so Dawn yeah. was so excellent from yep. the get go. That that's exactly the sequel is going to blow our socks off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my biggest detriment to this experience playing through it all again right now has been the storytelling of it but it's not a thing like you were saying that has deterred me from wanting to keep investing in this world because Mm -hmm. I do think there is a lot that they could elevate on an interesting story level I think the problem is sort of like Brian you were saying everything about the storytelling and the characters is just so stiff like it is always those cutscenes are always a person stands completely still and talks to you mostly about exposition and you respond asking a question they tell you more exposition now you go off to quest and that's it like other than Aloy even when they try with Errand again to give you an investment in his character. Often he's just telling you facts about the Karja and the Shadow Karja and all these things, and you're like, I don't really know why I should care because Aloy is being introduced to all of this right mm-hmm. now, and I have so much else going on that I don't really, it doesn't really hold weight with me. And so you get through all of these conversations, and honestly, by the end, I've just been clicking through so I can mm-hmm. get back into the combat. Yeah. And, and I rarely ever do that in games, especially games that I like the, I love the concept of this world. I just don't think they sell it in the dialogue. One well. of the one of the biggest sort of issues in games i think is like in movies there's show don't tell where it's like if you're using a visual medium to tell a story don't just have somebody rattling off dialogue when you're having an interactive visual medium and you've got somebody just standing there giving you like a you know tour guide speech or you know even worse it's just a, a wave file or an email you've got to read from somebody like i don't know find a better way to integrate that into your into your storytelling yeah and it's it's tricky obviously there's a lot of moving parts and i don't want to just you know be dismissive no of how for doing sure it, but i i was gonna say the one uh opposite to that that i've found really in this experience the one time i have enjoyed aloy having conversations with people is with lance reddick's character silence which uh, i'll hold off spoilers on him but i think the reason those conversations work is because at least for a large majority of the game he's only talking to Aloy through the focus so you don't yeah. see him so it forces the game to have to be dynamic while this is going on he also so, has like one of the most captivating voices exactly yeah, that, that doesn't ever. That, like, like please go watch The Wire and then also watch Fringe because yeah. that dude if you uh, if you play that game and you're like wow he's a good actor go go watch those things yeah he is amazing and so like that definitely helps but it is one of those things where it forces the game when they're not showing him to have to be doing something because the camera isn't just sitting on Aloy standing there listening and so it, it enhances the storytelling simply by the fact that it has to be doing something. Yeah. Which so often the conversations don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I do see the blueprint for where it can go from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing I do want to jump off from there is into the story. And we will be going a little bit into spoilers. So if you haven't played through the game, spoiler warning for the next bit, I'll wave my hands like crazy for the video version when we're out of the spoiler territory. You had three years to play it. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I just want to ask out in the open whether you, you know, play through the whole thing when it first came out whether you've played a little bit now whether you know whatever your variance on it is what can you tell me about the main plot i remember liking it mm-hmm. um i remember they yeah i can talk okay and this is so, to be dismissive i because I, I do want to get to a part that i like but i think there's an an issue with its pacing okay this is a bit drunk history yeah. because like i'm not drunk but i don't really remember everything um so you end up discovering that a whole bunch of people pre- previous to to the the machines taking over had um, like chosen who would survive or something, and there was an underground bunker where every where the survivors sort of were, and Aloy's mum was one of them, I think, or she was a scientist or something like that, um, and basically they all died, and then humanity was reborn again, and Aloy discovered that. 
secret at the end. That's what I think happened. I remember finding the ending quite satisfying. I just don't remember the specifics. Please, someone animate that. Um, <laughs> very close on a lot of it. So yeah, I will say the ending is where I've gotten invested in the story because so much of the game is... And I forget what I wanted to compare it to, but it is this whole thing of like, Aloy doesn't understand what's happening and she's trying to find out and it just keeps getting obfuscated from her. And then finally when she finds out, I'm like, oh, I kind of am into this, but it's now too late in the game and they have to rush through it all. Yeah. But essentially, so Aloy was born as a recreation of Dr. Elizabeth Sobek. She was born with That's her DNA. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Um, in this post-post-apocalyptic world because a virus spread through all of the robots that essentially caused them to want to wipe out humanity. And so they decided, we don't have enough time as humans to figure out this cure, so we're going to let AI figure out this cure. And in the meantime, we're just all going to die out. And then once life can exist again, the AI will re like rebirth humanity, essentially, and give them the tools to go out and recreate society. But if they get it wrong, there is a program within this larger AI program called Gaia, called Hades, who I will destroy everything yeah. if it goes wrong. And in this game, Hades essentially has decided, yeah, it's broken. I'm going to go kill everyone. Uh -huh. And we don't know why. And it wants to kill Aloy because it has Elizabeth's DNA and it knows that Elizabeth helped create it, the safeguards that would stop it. <laughs> How you doing, Brian? a lot yeah. i beat this game yeah okay. i remember this i hadn't remembered this until this came up again. so all of the gaia you know it's called hades earlier on because of silence but you don't learn any of the gaia hades stuff until the last like three or four missions and how gaia actually had like 12 different obviously god-based names programs part of its ai that were set free when hades went rogue but you don't know who set it free or why it was set free and essentially the game teases like silence is trying to go after who set off hades in the first place and that essentially sets up the sequel again this makes me sound like a huge idiot but this is not why i'm here yeah <laughs> you know like all this stuff is it's it's great to sort of in the, in well, the background it, it's but. also I mean, not part of the game until very late like in, in a not. major way and i liked but like for me i mean i i know it sounds ridiculous that i'm defending something that i can't even really properly remember but like um you know, I That's there like was most nostalgia. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, there was that. You know, the mystery was teased throughout the game, and I was like, "Well, this better actually be interesting and satisfying in some way to me, yeah. because like you've been teasing it for how many hours?" Um, and I did quite like the ending. It was slightly, it was slightly, even though it was over the top video gamey nonsense. Uh, I found it quite Twilight Zoney, and it, it, and I and I enjoyed that. It was weird and and interesting and it, it like I loved I loved going into that area at the end where you sort of discover the truth I thought that yeah. was really cool yeah you essentially get to go into what is like the the all mother which they've been praising as their god and it is just the AI incubation area where humans were kept and that's where you find out everything and it is exposition central and you're just going through exposition and listening to audio and all those seeing cutscenes play out but it's it's all so much more interesting because it's at least finally telling you why things are happening mm -hmm. um and i do think it sets up a lot of interesting paths for the sequel to go to story-wise i just hope they don't do the same thing of like down like if it's going to be part of the game i don't want them to downplay it for the first three quarters yeah like make it important uh let's hear your ideas about where it goes. Yeah. Well, so there's one bit, and maybe I'm I haven't explored every little bit of lore because there's a lot of data points to pick up. But I love the idea that all of these different bits of Gaia 
were set free. All these different um, Greek gods essentially were set free. And where do they, where do those AI programs go from there? Um, what havoc they can cause, what like aid they can help with, because essentially at the end of the game, obviously it implies something is trying to cause Hades's, you know, devastating plans. So what does that larger force want and what other AI could they get? How could it be interesting in a way that isn't just, it's corrupting the animals? Like what else can it do? Um, because you don't name all of these characters after gods for no reason. Like they are going to be extremely powerful. And I don't think it's going to suddenly be God of War where you're hunting down the eight programs who are also gods. But right. I, I do think there is a way to blend the like human aspect of like Silence wanting to find out who is the like force behind this like who may be the person behind this as well as what can these crazy ai programs do to set off further advancements in the ca- creatures you're having to fight um i think there's a balance like you it. can strike there um okay gorilla is uh paying attention can i pitch mine <laughs> revise Please. revise your script one issue i had with it is is landlocked you're in like colorado I'd love to see this game move to an island chain and you can have all sorts of different environments as well as aquatic stuff. Ooh, and yeah. I think airborne stuff would be incredibly cool. That's yeah. how you kind of spice things up in a mechanical sense. Have some gigantic beasts walking around and it's like, you know, sing some Shadow of the Colossus stuff where you've got to like swoop in on a pterodactyl and mm-hmm. think like a walking Far Cry outpost that's like crawling with other monsters on top oh, of it. Oh, I love yeah. it. Also, Aloy is a great character, but what if you got to create your own character and hang out with Aloy? I like it. Like in Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> uh, it, it would make a lot of sense because there are these AI incubation areas. Like essentially there were people being fostered by the AI. So it is not crazy to think, create your character. They're born out of this AI yeah. area and they were forgotten about. I, we've talked about this before, but I'd be amazed if they sort of like pushed her to the side because she somehow became like one of their big icons. They positioned her as as a big icon pretty early on in the piece but i think she deserves it i think she's a great character Mm -hmm. um she's a entertaining character to be in the shoes of for 40 hours i do like max's idea though of having her there but making her more of like a sully yeah i mean solid snake is still in the metal gear solid 2 box art you don't play as him for most of the game (laughs) right which Uh, i think weren't some people i mean that was like some people were cross about that a lot of people were cross about that i don't know maybe have an option you could also like we've seen the weird strand system in decim engine with death stranding where people are helping each other out and doing stuff like what if you kicked that up a notch and added more multiplayer where it's you know, you call in a friend, a la Bloodborne, and you guys team up to take down the big Stegosaurus or what have you. Oh, I did or want to ask. Yeah, sorry. Building grappling hooks or water slides or whatever. As, as we are getting into like what we want, do you want there to be a, a multiplayer aspect to this? Whether it is the strand system of like a single player game with multiplayer aspects being put into it or a more multiplayer focused mode. Do you want to see either of those? I like I the mean, ring a bell, phone a friend yeah. element. I like the ring a bell, phone a friend thing <laughs> over Monster Hunter World's more multiplayer yeah. focused. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for so many, so for so much of Monster Hunter World, like it's really, it, it makes a massive difference if you have several people yeah. helping you. Um, I think that there's still something much more satisfying about and, and, and kind of haunting um, about taking down those creatures by yourself yeah for sure um and i think yes if you if you really are stuck and you can call someone in then awesome but i don't think it should be like you should really we, we shouldn't be encouraged to play co-op the whole time no sure. i don't want it to be like division destiny raid no. stuff yeah. where it's like you seven people are fighting the same monster over and over for the chance that he'll drop an ankle bracelet i think given <laughs> how much sort of color-coded loot there is in this game where you're like oh should i switch my blue thing to a purple thing because it's got plus 17 instead of plus 13 like mm-hmm. it, they could very easily 
you know, metaphorically flip a switch and basically make it one of those shared world experiences. But I think that would be kind of an affront to everybody who was like, yeah, I'll, I'll play the single player offline open world game. Yeah, I think it'd be antithetical to what they were creating with this game. I could see room for multiplayer aspects, whether it is that like phone a friend thing. I, I do feel like it is perhaps Lucy, I agree. I don't want like the world to sort of require you to have three extra people to help you take down some of these robot dinosaur dinosaurs. But I could see it being a thing of like, a really great horde mode could work in this game. Really yeah, like a separate war. mode. Yeah, like yeah. a separate mode where it's like you and three friends can take down increasingly tough waves of enemies that are maybe have like difficulty spikes or different abilities or suddenly fire is something they're resistant to instead of weak, like things like that. I mean, Horizon is like one of the big PlayStation exclusives of this generation that sort of joined that portfolio that proved that single player games don't always need multiplayer because they all sure. sold incredibly well and they were reviewed incredibly well. You know, like it, it, throwing that in there as like an option or like the phone a friend thing to fight a big boss. I'm cool with that. I don't want to see this move into like a shared world division style thing. I think that's just like too cumbersome. No, neither. And it just, and I think I might've brought this up because I sound like such a wanker, but uh, I think I might've brought this up before. Um, but, you know, Steven Spielberg described uh, the, the original Jurassic Park as being like um, the tone that he was striking was horror and wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt both those things when playing Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah. And I think that uh, adding a whole bunch of people scrambling around uh, would completely strip away at least the, the horror part mm-hmm. of it. The, the, the daunting, oh my God, I've got to take that thing down myself. And then of course, the, the rapturous joy that comes mm-hmm. from taking a thing down by yourself. For I'm sure. cool with scripted NPCs rolling into the hunt with you and then getting torn apart. Yeah. You know, like the lawyer in Jurassic Park. <laughs> we already had uh, the ability to hack hack the dinosaurs and have them be your friends or your or your car or whatever. But like, what if they were like, here's, you get like a, a special one that you can upgrade and really like that becomes like a right. your, your, your Yoshi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he's got a clock radio in his head or yeah. whatever. Chloe Price from the YouTube comments actually said to combine a few things that they enjoyed about the game. I have to give it up to Aloy's voice actress, Ashley Birch. She, she's done an incredible job. Um, uh, I loved every aspect of the game. Only drawbacks were the fighting humans and bandit camps got repetitive, and I think the melee combat was weak, and the main villain was dumb. Uh, for <laughs> Horizon Zero Dawn 2, I want to see Aloy with cyber pets for yeah. the next game. Uh, maybe visit the Forbidden West, a place we hear a lot about, but we uh, went, uh, but want to go there also. Uh, also, spoilers, uh, F Ted Farrow for damning humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that a politician? Uh, I'm into like he, a sort he's of... He's the man. guy who led the... He's, like, yeah. the head, he's like, the one who made all the Deathbringers or whatever. Yeah. Taking a kind of robot Donkey Kong Country approach where like you go into one territory and there's a different rideable animal than there is over here and over here and you can bring them from area to area would be really interesting. But knowing that some of them are indigenous to certain environments yeah. and then going hun- hunting them down, hacking them, and then they're yours forever. Part of your like sort of GTA garage. Yeah. You know, like once That'd you park cool. it once, it's, it's in there. <laughs> you can summon it forever. Yeah. I, I would love to see, though, even more complexity to the like the different robot types interacting with each other and whether some can be allies with each other, whether some hate each other, that sort of like making the environment more complex in that way would be great. I think I'd love to see um, Marco Ramirez from the YouTube group said a climbing mechanic and more robust customization options on the climbing bit. What I've been thinking about while I've been playing a lot is one of my favorite things to do is the rope launcher, which lets you tie down enemies. I would love if you could mod the rope launcher to almost be like Max, you were saying a grappling hook or just, there were so many times where I was climbing up and thinking, I'm like, man, it'd be great if I could just launch a rope right 
right there and swing to something. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it just seems so obviously part of the world. This is an easily disproven th- statement, but I, I don't think a video game has ever been made worse with the addition of a grappling hook. Yeah, that is I a agree. Fun ass mechanic, it's especially so if there's big cliffs everywhere and large brontosauruses <laughs> with radar dishes on their heads. That'd be wonderful. Yeah, I thank you for coming to my TED talk on grappling hooks. Um, yeah, that's one of the biggest elements of the game I would want to see update. Is there anything else that we all feel really could be enhanced from this game that we felt was a little bit lacking? I know we've talked a bit about story. I think we've covered the bases. Yeah, I I feel like that's some of the biggest stuff we want to see. Uh, As I pull up some more comments, though, I did want to ask, now that we are, we're in 2020, we talked about this game a bit before, when do you think we're seeing Horizon 2? As we said, today is the third anniversary of the game. Uh, Gorilla has been silent since the Frozen Wilds, which came out later that year in 2017. Other than that, I want to see it two years into the PS5's life cycle. That's Agreed. when I want to see it. I want a teaser trailer this year. I want to the general population at large to have some reasons to spend 500, 600 bucks this fall, knowing in, that they're buying into a, a system that's going to be kicking ass for a long time. I also, Which they should know either way. But No, and I, I also think that like you know if the, if the rumored 9.2 PS5 teraflops are true... Uh, it's going to have to rely on a lot more than raw horsepower in order to stand out um, from the Xbox Series X, which is obviously going to be an incredibly powerful and expensive machine. So I think that uh, if we look at things like a lower lower price point and a fantastic array of first-party games, uh, that'll be enough to... Mm-hmm. you know to sell the system to people this game came sure. out a couple of weeks before breath of the wild did and through you know the idea of them being similar in several ways and also just being big exclusive open world games where you fight things and ride horse-shaped objects <laughs> uh they were sort of forever connected in that way um especially because breath of the wild let you climb everything and alloy couldn't really do that we already got a teaser for breath of the wild too Right. That's yeah. all I'm really asking for for Horizon. Mm. Just a, a sort of like hero shot of Alloy walking into a field. You see a silhouette of something very massive, and then boom, Horizon Zero Dawn Two currently in development. Yeah, Gorilla Games yeah. logo. That's all it needs. That's I it. mean, we just need. We in general, we just need just a just a teaser of yeah. anything from Sony at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not really looking for like a Death Stranding style yeah. cycle where it's at every trade show for the next five years they show a you nine like clips trailer. of the ending and then yeah, yeah. and then not, four years later you play the game uh, yeah i don't i don't definitely don't need that i but just like having an idea that like th- we're working on this it's going to be a playstation 5 exclusive um you know pre-order with with pride or whatever <laughs> uh brian to cross the streams with your nvc knowledge of course uh how close do you think this will come out to breath of the wild too three weeks be- before three weeks before yeah. <laughs> uh go. From the no, Facebook no. group, <laughs> from the Facebook group, Joshua said, "During a uh, a blizzard where I couldn't leave my house for days, I started and beat the game in five days, fifty two hours, just a few months ago. And damn, what an experience! Yeah, and it's not a bad way to experience this game. I have found as I've been playing, it is so much fun to just get lost in that world and oh, so stumble across a herd of striders and then find." a fox to skin but then also find a few extra missions to pick up and just keep going through i remember specifically going all the way i think it was to like the the lower left corner of the map where there's sort of just like docks and like this kind of beach town and how sprawling it was and there were just like enemies camped out everywhere and just being like this is awesome like it doesn't even feel like this feels off the beaten path but it's like you know, rewarded me for finding it in the same way. Like in the upper right of breath of the wild, there was that big labyrinth. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, there's just like really cool stuff and like tucked away in the corners of these games. I want more stuff like that. 
Uh, moving on, just to do a little bit of back and forth of some of the opinions, Rob from the YouTube group said, I've tried the game three times. Probably the max amount of time I spent was 15 hours or so. It looks gorgeous. Gorgeous, excuse me. The combat feels satisfying and tight, and I like open world games. Each time I tried it, though, I was just never really pulled in or compelled. So much to keep coming back or keep playing. The story and characters felt flat, and I thought the acting was bland. Mm-hmm. I wish so many times to be on the bandwagon for this game, and I'll probably try it again during a gaming drought, but I'm actually not hopeful the experience will be any different for me. I, I think that's um, totally fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. whatever you experienced, if it didn't grab you by then, it probably won't for the next 40 hours. I want to I want to say something like, I I don't want to seem like I'm being too negative on this game because obviously we're here to sort of celebrate it and, you know, praise its achievements, but and also point out our its shortcomings. But like, so much of what makes me critical about it is because it is such an incredible, like it's so close in so many ways. Like yep. there's so many yep. things it does incredibly right. And then a few things that are like, uh, oh, it's almost, it almost got me, you know? And I'm just, I'm dying to see what they do with the second one yeah. because it's yeah. like, it shows, it's also like, it is a technical masterpiece. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that is, this is one of the first games I've put on, um, on my, I got a 4k TV since going back into it. And like the HDR in this game is stunning it's beautiful yeah. i was i was criticized in the youtube comments for saying this but i will say it again um horizon zero dawn was the moment where i was like next gen has arrived for me yeah like, the playstation 4 has arrived mm-hmm. like that's that's what i felt at the time because yeah. it felt like it was it was fully realized i i think i like i remember there was a point in my mentally where i was like uncharted 4 is the best looking playstation game and then i played this and i was like this is, looks like that, but it's an open world game. This right. is the one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Horizon, yeah. yeah, we didn't talk about this too much, but Horizon, I still think playing it now still holds up. It is more beautiful than most games coming out these days even. Yep. And I, it is the first game that sucked me into and really sold me on the concept of photo modes. Oh my games. God. And like I've spent, I think, as much time playing the game as I have in photo modes because it is so much fun. And looking back on it, it's actually a very... Uh, basic photo mode like compared to things that have come since with god of war and especially spider-man's photo mode yeah um it is so much less complex of a photo mode because the game is just so photogenic itself mm-hmm. that it is hard to find yourself in a place where you can't take a great screenshot your photos have been really it's been really cool seeing what you've been done in there. thank you it's been so much fun like it's it's been one of those things where I'm like, okay, I've played through a bit of this. I, I kind of have a grasp on where some fun parts of the world are. And it's been like a nature photography mm-hmm. quest of like, well, where can I go for great shots? I mean, that right there could be a mechanic. Yeah. Like how wild would it be if there was an entire like side quest that was like Pokemon Snap with these robot dinosaurs? And I know we're just kind of you just sold me on a game like, oh, this is what I want for Christmas. This is Super Mario Bros. Four, and then you can fly this time. You know, but like, I don't. I mean, in terms of like like weird quests that NPCs in town could put you on, that that would be awesome. That'd be an amazing quest. Yeah, always like, what's a camera? I've never seen one of these before. Your your focus has been able to do it for years. We need you to steal the Brontosaurus's soul. Bring me pictures of Spider Man. Take this Sony Mavica and go out in the wasteland. A uh, friend of the show, Dan Cool from the Facebook group, said, Horizon is one of my games of the generation. As someone interested in the design side of things, it was truly a beautiful thing to witness. For the sequel, I just want more weapon and armor types and a wider variety of mount types. Also, 60 frames per second because that game engine deserves it. And yeah, yeah I think finding more ways to traverse that environment will never be a bad thing they could add to this. And I game. don't yeah. think, I think that we will absolutely see that in the next in the next game. It would be crazy for them not to expand on traversal. Yeah. Uh, Michael said, recently got the Platinum and Horizon, I loved most everything about it. The world and the lore in it had me hooked and waiting to find, uh, wanting to find every collectible just to see how people lived before machines took over. They drank a lot of mugs, a lot of coffee out of mugs. <laughs> drank a lot of mugs out of coffee. Uh, the Until only they thing broke. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's a lot of And chips. then society fell apart. That was it. Yeah. Once you have to drink coffee out of your hands, you might as well just succumb to just give robots. Up. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I didn't much care for were the different trial challenges. I was enjoying playing the game my way and at my own pace. The trial trials made me change that and do exactly as the game asked. Other than that, it is a thoroughly great game. Did you guys spend much time with the trials? I played I, a bunch of them. I played a yeah. bunch of them, <clears throat> but I kind of agree. Like, I got to a point where I was like, I don't want to do these anymore. I always understand the philosophy be, philosophy behind those things because it is trying to get you outside of your comfort zone of what you're mm-hmm. sort of like ingrained is in the playing. Like every one of these games, I always I'm like, that's my weapon, and I'm gonna ride it out until the game's over. And then those kind of nudged me to be like, no, try this, play like this, play like this. And so I did learn a few things from them, but like, yeah, ultimately it it kind of pushed you into a corner, um, and so I, I gave up on them. Yeah, uh, I've only really been chasing them for the platinum. I feel like a couple of them are particularly tough, and I was looking back at things because obviously I want the trophies, and one of the major updates to the game completely hampered uh, the way you could kind of spoof through a couple of the challenges, and so they actually became way tougher, but not in a fun way, like not in a way that made me go, oh, I can use that in the field. It was like, no, you just have to run from point A to B to C as quickly as you can and hope you don't get killed, and if you do, just restart, which isn't really a fun mission yeah um to wrap up busta burns from the facebook group said i finally beat this game about two days ago and i've had it since launch after you recommended that everybody play it over i started from scratch needless to say that i'm embarrassed that i didn't finish it sooner since i bought it on launch day i ended up getting the badass shield armor and all of the lodge weapons and just breeze through the game what i did like was the amazing graphics and fast-paced gameplay i don't remember it looking this impressive but i also didn't own an oled at the time what i didn't like was how long it took for the actual story to come to light during the middle part of the game it felt just kind of dry but after you meet silence it really picks up pace overall i enjoyed my third and final attempt at this game can't wait for a sequel and hopefully we could fly across the map on glint hawks or stormbirds oh yeah and yeah i i think we've all said you know for as much as we're criticizing a lot of aspects of it and as max was saying we really enjoyed this game. We've had a blast yeah. with this game and cannot wait to see where they go next with it. Right? Also, there should be no shame in not finishing something you bought on launch day because it's, if it's a massive world to explore. Yep. Like, I think it's totally fine to back away. Like Some of my favorite games I backed away from for a few months and then went back to, like Witcher 3, Metal Gear Solid 5, currently Bloodborne are both are all things that I'm like, uh, no, I'm going to take a break and enjoy it later. You know? right. And I think it's, it's, I don't know, Like obviously... I'm not going to review a game and be like, no, I'm going to take a break for four months and come back <laughs> 10 out of 10 or whatever. But like to properly enjoy something, like it's okay to savor it. And it's especially when it's a gigantic sprawling world. Yeah. You will probably forget how the controls work. I, so. Yeah, no, Tyler, two hours ago as of a recording on Twitter, replied to me when I mentioned we were recording this and said, I missed this game due to Breath of the Wild. Decided it's finally time to start it tonight. Can't wait. And yeah, there's no shame in starting a game a week, a month, a year, three years after it comes out, when you can make time for it, make time for it. And I, it just makes me more excited having replayed it finally to the end of the game to see what they do next. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, so thank you for everyone who did jump back into the game, who's played along with it for the, this month. Uh, it was very fun to go back to this one in particular, and it was great timing for the anniversary. Uh, we haven't decided on the next game that we want to do this with, um, so please suggest some in the comments. Uh, PlayStation 4 exclusives. Some off the top of my head that I was thinking about would be Ratchet and Clank, uh, obviously, we'll get to Bloodborne pretty soon, hopefully. Uh, Ratchet & Clank, Bloodborne, on one of the Uncharted 4 or Lost Legacy. We're not doing Bloodborne until you play Bloodborne. I know, I know, and I'll play it soon. And you um, beat Bloodborne. That too. That's the rule. Off at this point. 
Yeah. Uh, infamous second son. Uh, there, there are a lot to choose from. So let us know in the comments what you want us to tackle next. And we'll plan one for March and announce that probably on next week's show. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for listening and or watching this episode and for jumping back into Horizon with us. And Gorilla, if you're listening or watching, just just please tell us about Horizon 2 already. Please. Please. We, we really want to play it. Good start. Something. Uh, normally Beyond is live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific at beyond.ign.com, youtube.com slash IGN Beyond, and your favorite podcast services around the world. Uh, if you haven't heard already from us talking about it, there is a Podcast Beyond shirt on the new IGN store, store.ign.com. Please go buy it. Show your support for the show. It does matter. We obviously, of course, appreciate it, but it does matter for what we want to do in expanding. Every shirt that, that isn't sold is taken out of our paycheck. It's so true. please go buy as many yeah. shirts as you can. My rent is due today, so yeah. please buy the shirts. Um, but please go check out those designs on the store as well for any of the podcasts you may listen to here and more shows to come. But uh, otherwise, without that, you can find us normally on IGN.com, YouTube.com slash IGN. And uh, normally on Twitter, you can find us at Max Scoville for Max. I'm at JM Dornbush. Lucy is at Luce O'Brien. And Brian is at Agent Bizzle. I always get tongue-tied when I have to go from at Luce O'Brien to Brian. And don't oh, say yeah, it wrong, right. double. But it worked out. Uh, anyway, thank you so much. Uh, and as always... Beyond. 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 Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.